Welcome to Listen by Jean Ginsberg. This audio experience and podcast is all about social media, digital marketing, entrepreneurship, and interviews with top entrepreneurs in the digital and social space. I'm your host, Jean Ginsberg, digital marketing expert, number one best-selling author, and award-winning entrepreneur. I will be sharing with you strategies, tips, and tactics on how to grow your business and your social media following. Thanks for listening. This episode of Listen by Gene Ginsberg is part of the Colorado Tech Startup Series. In this series, we showcase leaders of tech companies in Colorado, everything from apps, analytics, cannabis, and software, and SaaS companies to show the amazing talent that's going on in tech companies in the state of Colorado. Please enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, Gene Ginsberg here. Super excited, very special guest today. We have David Bennett, CEO of Axiant. How's it going, David? Good, thank you. Nice to be here. Awesome, very excited. So David and I actually know each other for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> Probably like 11 years. Yeah, something like 10, 11 years. Yeah, we used to work at a, at a company back in the day. And yeah, and then we just, you know, went our separate ways, and now we've reconnected again after 10 years, so it's kind of crazy, you know, just how It's funny how us. things uh, move around. Yeah, yeah, and then eventually your, your paths cross again, so yeah, so tell us a little bit more about your company. Yeah, so uh, I run a company called Axion. Uh, we are a business continuity provider purely to the uh, managed services segment, so imagine if you are a small business end user, and you want to... Um, keep copies of all your data and company information and things like that. And we deal with that, but it's more than just backup and recovery. What we're actually able to do is actually any of your uh, technology and systems, excluding the hardware, we can get your business up and running typically in under an hour. So if you were, let's say a small dentist practice, we're, we're HIPAA compliant, but also if your dentist practice burned down and you said, okay, I need to, fire up my new dental practice two miles down the road where we could get you up and running with all of the information uh, in a couple of hours. Okay, so it's basically like it's in case um, my entire computer goes to hell and I saved everything on some sort of on your system, then I can get my business up and running. Yeah, but it's, more, it's more than just the information. It's actually things like all the operating system, all of your software packages, absolutely everything. And so you could either have your business up and running in our cloud, or you could walk into a Best Buy, buy another laptop, and we can download the whole image again and have you up and running in a couple of hours. Wow, okay. And, so, and, and we, we provide that through a managed services network, so right. these are people that are kind of like doing outsourced IT, so they would do that as a chargeable service for you. Right, so, so how is that different, for example, like a Dropbox? If I, let's say, all, save all my files in a Dropbox, how are you guys different than that? Well, so, so Dropbox is, well, I would, it's great if you're a consumer, but it's not HIPAA compliant. Okay. So, or it doesn't deal with any high compliancy needs if you're in a legal practice, financial services, things like that. Um, there's also no guarantee if you get any information back. Okay. So if you think about it, it's actually very easy to back something up. Right, yeah, just throw it up in Dropbox. You just throw it up in Dropbox. You could use Microsoft OneDrive. You could yeah. use a hundred different companies. But actually getting it back in a timely fashion okay. is the hard part. And then actually getting it back in a, in a, in a structured fashion, just exactly the way you had it before you uploaded it, is really hard. 
And so Dropbox is great if you're a consumer for, for photos, maybe the odd word in Excel. It's not going to get your business up and running if you've got, let's say, your whole database of your whole mm -hmm. customer. You don't want to be dropping that Dropbox. Right. That's true. Okay. Very cool. So, so typically, I would say, you know, just from having worked with a lot of businesses, you know, a lot of times their CRMs or customer relationship managements are are served or are hosted usually on a separate server, right? Like I don't know, Salesforce or something like that. So, how do you then do you do you integrate with a Salesforce or do, do you work with them somehow? So, so we don't actually do Salesforce because Salesforce okay. has a native thing. But one of, the, one of the interesting things is is Office three six five. Okay. Yeah. So. Everyone, most people use Office 365 now. It's cloud. It's cloud email. It's cloud collaboration. You would think you're buying a product from Microsoft and in the cloud, they're going to back you up. They don't. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Okay. And, and more importantly, if you actually read their T's and C's, and I think it's on page like seven, way down the bottom in one of those, off those long, really long things that never reads. Only on page seven, not on page like 70? <laughs> it's, some, it's way down the bottom. There's actually a line that says, we do not guarantee to get your information back. Okay. And so what we do is, particularly in Office 365 solution, we solve for a recoverability of all your information. We solve for human error, accidentally deleting something. So if you delete something off the 365 and you haven't backed it up another third party provider and you only realize three weeks later, it's gone. Never recover. Right. It's, it's automatically purged. Microsoft purge it typically after right. uh, seven to fourteen days, and it's gone. Well, how do you deal with human error? So we solved by that because we kept keep every single revision. Right. And so, when people and small businesses are thinking about going to the cloud, you need to dig into okay. Just because it's in the cloud, you think it's saved? Doesn't mean it's actually saved. Right. Okay, interesting. Now, I'm glad now I kind of I really have good understanding on how it compares to other services. Yeah, and, and then we actually have a, a slightly different service. So you mentioned Dropbox. We actually have a product that's kind of like, think of Dropbox on steroids. So Dropbox is really easy because you can sync and share. Right. But what happens if you suddenly put something private in Dropbox and you send out a link to someone and plenty of people do this. You type your email address in and it auto-populates with someone. You press send. And you're like, damn it, that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> damn it, I've sent it to this wrong person. Right. What are you going to do? No way to get it back. No way to get it back. And that, no way to stop that person clicking on the link because it's a public link. Right. So we have a solution that's, and the way to think about it is like Dropbox and steroids, that allows you to provide dedicated links to only specific addresses. So if you did something like that and it got sent to bob at bob.com and it wasn't Bob you were trying to send it to, he can't open the link. Right. So there's a lot more security around okay. true what I would class business class sync and share, and it's brandable. So um, a lot of our MSPs deal in the legal practices, and if you're a, if you're a lawyer, you probably want to be sending out links to documents with your own lawyer practice name on it. So right. we can facilitate that as well. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the background of the company. So you're the CEO. And Sounds like you were brought in at a, at a later point after the company was founded. So, what was the catalyst for find, for for the founder who founded the company? Yeah, so the the company was founded uh, about 12, 13 years ago. Um, always been in the backup um, recovery world, and the business had grown pretty dramatically to about a thirty million dollar business mm -hmm. up until about sort of like three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, they then acquired their nearest competitor. And overnight, the business doubled. 
Okay. And so anytime that happens, there are some challenges with any kind of business. You, you don't go through that normal growing path and business operational uh, structure. How do I go and deal with things, let alone how do I integrate a company of a similar size? And so I was brought in earlier in the year, post the acquisition to say, okay, we've now merged the two companies together. What does that mean? So we've got duplicative products. We've got similar customers, similar go-to-market. Company had grown by acquisition, and then five acquisitions, and yet all of the products didn't look the same, didn't feel the same, those kind of things. And so um, having spent 10 years at my prior company doing a very similar thing in exactly the same marketplace, it was a natural progression to, to move to Axiom. It also helped that the prior company had sold, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to go and work for another public company. So. Right. Okay. And so tell us a little bit about your background, personally, in terms of your career path. <laughs> Honestly, it's a little weird. So for, for somebody who's ended up being a CEO, um, I have been all sorts of things. Okay. So I left school at 16, never went to university. Uh, I am a fully trained butcher, so should the technology world implode, I can still feed myself and feed the family. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. In the event that like all, every, the internet goes down tomorrow. Yeah, or there's no power ever or anything like that, at least I can still hunt and feed and feed myself. And so you get to go, you get like a certification to go to school to be a butcher? How does that work? It was, honest answer, it was, it was kind of old school training. So this was like early 90s. Um, and I started off working in a uh, abattoir, which is where obviously we go kill the animals first of yeah, all. Yeah, the slaughterhouse. That's the slaughterhouse. Um, yeah, that's the difference between English and America. So yes. I should have said slaughterhouse. Apologies <laughs> for that. I've not so, heard of that word saying. before. Yeah. Um, so, so it kind of starts off there, and you just grow up, and I ended up getting training through that, and then so kind of like an apprenticeship, if you will. So kind of like an apprenticeship type thing. Um, it was one of those weird things that you kind of like you start in the food industry. He's like, everyone's going to eat. You can have a job for life. Um, right. I then moved from being a, a butcher to I actually run six Safeway superstores in the as you can tell, I'm not a native of Colorado. Grew up in England um, and ran six Safeway superstores in the US or in the UK. Oh, yeah. oh, in the UK, in, okay. back in the UK. Okay. Um, I didn't know they had Safeway in the UK. Yeah, no, yeah, no, they, they did. They exactly, exactly the same company. Yeah. Um, but strangely, technology eliminated my role. Because back then, when I was, you think back then, is like, how did, big, how did big companies manage the business? It was resource planning. It was like, how many people do I need? How many products do I need? It was manual ordering and things like that. Right. Computers came in and then they're like, sorry, we don't need this guy that's running six superstores. And I was like, what do I do now? And then I just had a buddy who worked at a technology distributor uh, in sales. And I took a, a, a package from Safeways and I was like, you know what? I know about as much as here's a laptop, here's a keyboard, and here's a screen. <laughs> yeah. um, and it was very much one of those 90s style um, kind of, you get dropped in the den and you either sink or swim. Or swim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very much a, um, people may have heard stories of like what, IT companies were like in the 90s and kind of crazy things. Cutthroat. Cutthroat. Uh, this place was, if you didn't hit your sales number at the end of the week, they took your chair away. Two weeks, they took your desk away. You got to three weeks, you didn't have a job. Um, I found that I had a natural ability to talk to people, talk about technology, 
explain technology and things like that and just fell into selling product management and since then I've had multiple roles of running sales organizations, product management, product marketing, wholegunner market, operations. Um, prior to moving to the US I ran uh, Lenovo's PC business uh, for 37 countries, I ran Sony's um, integration business for 11 countries. So a bit of a different background and then moved to the US and uh, coming up for 11 years ago. Ooh. So obviously a very uh, direct progression from a slaughterhouse to being a CEO of a tech company. I a mean, absolutely. It makes perfect, I mean, this is the career path that most people take these days. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, 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 but then looking back at it, I think the one thing that, I mean, you run a small business and just the challenges of business and juggling so many things. The one thing of, of, uh, that taught me in the fresh foods world Speed of execution is number one above everything else. Even if you do the wrong thing, because you can go and change it. Right. In a fresh foods world, you have three days to rectify a problem. Because after three days, you have to throw everything away. Right. And so what it really taught me about technology world, and particularly moving much more into the software world, which is way higher margins than are in the hardware world, People tend to be slower at executing things like that. And I'm like, no, no, speed of execution, speed of execution, speed of execution, and be specific. It, I think it really helped being dropped in the deep end, being a CEO. So fail fast is really the yeah. term here. <laughs> fail fast. Have a, have a high level of desire to succeed. Plan for like the worst, but then target everyone 30% higher than they think they should be targeted because right. then they'll hit the 100% target in the first place. Um, it's like the 10x rule, you, you know that book by Grant Cardone? 10x yeah. rule, yeah, so yeah. it's kind of like that, right? Everything has to be 10 times more than, than you can ever imagine. It's yeah, being... it's, it's, it's like, and, and, and you think about like anyone that's successful, whether in business, private life, sports people, and things like that. I mean, we have a, 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 a Olympics high jumper that, that works for us. And he said exactly the same thing when he goes to the when he was going to the Olympics. He doesn't train to hit the two meter one because that was a waste of time. Mm -hmm. He has to train to hit something that's two and a half meters, even though he knows the likelihood of ever getting two and a half meters is like impossible. Impossible. Yeah. But then he he did two thirty six. But then yeah, but then you get close to two. <laughs> yeah, and you get over what you would have yeah, done. And yeah. so I just think uh, as you think about. What does this set you up to be a CEO? What does it mean? It's, it's pushing people to a level they never thought they was capable, but you have to do it in a way where it's not a, like a stick and a, and a carrot kind Car of thing. Yeah, that's it has nice. to be, has to be kind of like leverage that they understand and say, I think I can do this. I don't quite know how I'm going to do it yet, but if I peek, break it up into small pieces and that goes back to the speed of execution. You break it up into small steps. No one goes from the ground floor to the first floor by jumping all the steps. It's exactly the same thing. Right. That's a very interesting point. Yeah. It's always like you have to reach much higher and ex you know, expect the worst, but then you will at least get close to your goal. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but if you just throw out like a ridiculous number that's 30% higher than the company's ever been doing, everyone's going to look at me like a complete alien and like, who's this crazy guy with a weird accent? But if right. you break it down and say, hey, look, 
we want to achieve this kind of growth or this kind of exit velocity. But actually, what that means is this week, you're just doing this little thing here. Next week, you're doing this little thing. Next week, you're doing this little thing. Yeah. People, people actually then go, they go from, oh my God, that's crazy. We can't go and do that. It's impossible. And they go, they kind of go through that bell curve of, I can do this and figure it out. And then it's actually, it's okay if you fail, because if you fail fast, you can go and change it. Right. Yeah. It's always little steps, right? Towards the big goal. Yeah. Right? The, 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 and I think the things that I've seen that paralyze businesses is people spend too much time on data analysis, trying to get to the perfect decision. Yes. The concept of analysis paralysis, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, we, you see it all the time and versus, you know what, if you get it wrong four or 5% of the time, what does it matter? 95% of the time is a pretty good outcome, yep. particularly if you're driving people higher. So, Wow, very cool. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for sharing your background. So um, tell us a little bit more about the kinds of businesses that you work with in, at Axiom. So is it, you said mostly small businesses, like dental practices, attorneys, <coughs> things like that? Yeah, so, so, so we actually only sell to the managed service provider. So, okay. so these are guys where they would come into your small business and say, you know, I'm going to take away all your IT headaches. I'll manage all of your laptop servers, hardware, software. They'll manage, let's say, your IT help desk. They manage all your subscriptions. They deal with security. They do all your automated backups and things like that. And then they sell that as a uh, subscription per user okay. to the end customer. So, so you don't actually deal with end customers? We don't actually deal with end customers. Gotcha. So we facilitate. Now, obviously, we're backing up data from the end customer. Yes. But it's actually the MSP that's providing the service. Mm -hmm. And they're providing it on a managed service. So it's not a case of someone just clicking something and something's happening. So a lot of these guys deal with highly regulated industries. And so if you're in healthcare, you have to deal with HIPAA. Well, HIPAA has a requirement that you have to have backups that are recoverable. Mm -hmm. Well, an MSP has to go through a regular process of saying, actually going to test the backup. So tell you what, I'll come in today, I'm going to test it. And so if this business goes down, can I recover every piece of information and all the operating systems in that given business within my service level window? So they actually have to do that and they have to provide copies of that. Same thing in legal practices and things like that. And so you think about, that's why we go to market through the MSP space because they're dealing with the challenges of highly regulated industries different industries but we solve for the unique challenges of the managed service provider which is their biggest problem is human capital finding people that understand tech but then make it easy for the end user because if you're running a small business you don't want to be burdened by oh my god my printer doesn't work or my laptop doesn't work or I've lost this file or Bob has deleted an inbox or something the MSB has to go and deal with that Right. But it's hard finding good technical resources. It's even worse if the technology you're using as a managed service provider requires the MSP to use hundreds of hours to actually manage the technology. So we focus on making the MSP's lives easier. Mm -hmm. So it's all about automation. So you think about it like that, proving a backup and recovery, but we can actually automate it for them. We can run through that. So when they come in, they can go, on a Tuesday, I know I'm going to run all these customers through this disaster recovery test. Mm -hmm. We do it automatically. We check in the, the integrity of the information being backed up. So if, for instance, you've got a, a uh, an image on your laptop and it's corrupt, 
we can actually tell you in advance it's corrupt. So rather than you backing up something that's corrupt and then your business goes down and then you're like, I can't operate. So mm-hmm. our, our business is really around how do we make the MSP's lives easier with an ultimate target. And, and this is what, what I view as kind of like our barometer of success. If you think an MSP's cost of doing business is human capital, average tech person, I mean, we're in Denver, it's getting pretty expensive to find tech people here, right. those kind of things. Competitive. It's competitive. Average, let's say, help desk tech salary is probably 100, 120K a year for a good person. If I can eliminate one headcount for a managed service provider, and it doesn't mean they have to get rid of someone, but maybe that, that, that headcount is then making them money rather than costing them money, that's what I view as a barometer for our success. So when someone deploys our technology across their customer base, we look at it and say, as we go into your business, how many hours and, and the impact on your business does it take to run these type of backups recoveries now? Mm-hmm. After you've implemented in our solution, this is what we expect you to see. Right. That's meaningful. I mean, if you can go out to a, and most MSPs are small businesses. Most MSPs only have 25, maybe 50 people in the company. So they're not huge corporate companies that are doing outsource IT. Right. If you could save that guy and his business 100 grand. That's a lot. That's a huge amount of difference. And then if you think about how we go to, go to market, things like that, it's our technology is focused on uniquely solving that rather than going as cool widgets and things like that. Right. Okay. Interesting. This podcast is brought to you by the Digital Marketing Method Monthly Group Coaching Program, your methodology for growing your business and your social media following. Join me and my group of supportive entrepreneurs and learn how you can grow your business and your social media following, where we cover topics such as Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, email marketing, and so much more. Go to dmgroup.online, dmgroup.online. Online. So, um, so you mentioned a little bit about challenges, and it sounds like one of the challenges that you're experiencing is MSPs have just uh, getting more tech people involved. Right? What, what is another? I mean, is that, would you say that's the biggest challenge in your industry? <laughs> I, I, I think that's that's definitely a challenge of the MSP. I think, as I think it relates back to Axion, one of the challenge and challenges that we had as an organization when I came in was and we talked about this at the beginning, is the company growing by buying five other companies. Mm-hmm. When you do that, you end up with five pieces of technology that will look different. Right, so that's your biggest challenge now. Not, it's not only don't they look different, but they may all be priced different. They may all be sold different. So some of them could be sold monthly. Some of them could be sold on three-year contracts. Some of them could be combination of all these different things. And if your job is to make the MSP's life easier, but when I came into the business, we were making them use five pieces of different technology that all look different, all licensed different, all managed differently, and all build differently. That's not really making people's lives easier. So the first thing I did when I came into business, I spent two weeks out of customers. And I was like, these were customers that were using our technology now, customers that left our technology, and I was like, I don't want to understand what the hell's going on. So our biggest challenge was, how do we solve five things that are all completely different. So how do you streamline that? How do you streamline that, but without Im- without putting the impact on the customer? Right, yeah, how do you streamline it all internally and make sure, yeah. Yeah, it's all very well just to say, let's make everything look the same, but 
different, all five products had a different code base to them. Yeah, so you have to integrate. So, so you have to think about how do I integrate these? That's five different development organizations, five different QA teams, yeah. all these type of things. But essentially what we looked at was, hey, the success of our company is gonna be based on not only doing what we say we do, which is be the best business continuity provider, but ultimately either make our MSP more money or save them more money. And so as we thought about the hardest thing to do is then of those five products, well, what's the things that's gonna make the biggest difference? What are we gonna do? And so we, we created a phase approach which gets us, and we launched phase one in November last year, which was, let's get our cloud-centric products all looking the same. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't require someone installing something or something like that. So that was very easy. We're now going through and, and then merging all the other products to the same look and feel. So by middle of this year, we will have a platform. So the customer buys a platform now, and then depending on the requirements they need, they can pick like flavor A, B, or C. But right. it all looks the same. It's all managed the same. It's all build the same. So they have one bill with everything on it. If we if we do all of that, that's going to really solve the customer's problem. It's all very well saying it. I think the world is strewn with technology companies that say they're going to do it. Very few of them have spent the time and effort to actually go and do it. Right. So failing fast and moving forward, right? <laughs> yeah. And and but also it's it's about, it's also about communicating with the customers. Absolutely. Is is. Tell them, this is what we're going to do. Here's what you're going to go and see. And we moved to an agile process. And anyone who's ever been in a tech company will know that most companies are now in an agile process, which is iterate every two weeks. Yes. And to exactly to the fact, it's less about fail fast. It's more like we do something, let's make a change to see what happens and how are we going to do that. And so really just getting our customers out of the old way that the company was is we would do one big release, one or two big releases a year. Now we're going to do a couple of releases like every couple of weeks. Right. So every couple, couple so you're, you're going to see a continual improvement of the things you're going to get to. But you're not suddenly going to wake up one day in a big bang and everything's going to look the same. Mm -hmm. It's going to gradually merge in, which is actually better for the customer because you're going to see a gradual change rather than being forced to suddenly say, I had these five things, now I've got to go and change something else. That's probably the single hardest thing to do. Yeah, integrate. So, how far far along are you in the into, into integration into the integration process? So, so integrating everything is done. Uh, we have all of our cloud products the same look and feel. The sync and share product will be done in six seven weeks, and then our business continuity solution will be mid to late this year. Okay. But so but today, if you're a customer, you can you can go in and have one logon see the same products from a look and feel, uh -huh. see what my bill is, see what my customer usage is, and I can do all of my training on the same platform. And if you want to market the technology, you can do automated marketing campaigns. Mm -hmm. Company didn't have any of that before June last year. Okay. And, and, and the thing that, that was crazy to me is you think about transitioning a company to this kind of like view of, it's all about simplicity. Mm -hmm. But then think about how people buy technology now. I believe there's no such thing as enterprise selling anymore. Really? Why do you say that? Because the way an enterprise, or rephrase it, the way a business, whether it's an enterprise or a small business, procures technology is less about speaking to a sales rep. 
And what, what do they do now? What, so so they what, they, what they'll do now is if, is if you're the guy tasked at either an SMB, an MSP, or an enterprise, you probably have a relatively techie guy. You're going to go out there and find a trial and try the technology. So it's just a trial. Well, but then do you want to, you probably want to speak to a salesperson after the trial, right? Possibly, but if, you, but, but if you if you think about really successful companies that have flipped a, a selling model, but also integrated with a customer experience model, they've completely adapted how they engage with their customer, how they talk about technology, how they take them on a journey, and 70% of the buying cycle, even in enterprise, is completed before anyone ever speaks to a salesperson, if you do it correctly. So, so I mean, salespeople are going to be obsolete in the next no, five or 10 years? But, <laughs> or at least for enterprise sales? <laughs> I think there's always going to be, now whether you class them as salespeople or not, I like to call them trusted advisors. Okay, so maybe a different change or change, change, change the title. Change the channel and, and, and change the title and those kind of things. But people also need to understand is, Everyone in an enterprise or an SMB is ultimately a consumer. Yes. So what do you do in your private life when you want to go and, when you want to go and buy a car? You don't suddenly go and rock up at the dealer and say, I want to go and buy a car. You do your research online. You do your research online. You probably drive a few friends' cars. Mm -hmm. You probably walk around the dealership on a Sunday, because in Colorado they know you can't sell you a car on a Sunday, so they leave you alone. Mm -hmm. So you do a bunch of research. And particularly if you then found a friend who has a car that you like, well, you might drive it. That's exactly the same world in the tech world. So if we do that in our private lives, why, would, why do we think the procurement of technology in a B2B world should be forced into the old way of doing things of the first point of contact is a salesperson. The first point of contact should be someone engaging with your piece of technology in a seamless, frictionless perspective. That might be restricted, so they can't roll it out across the whole company, but it gives them a flavor of the technology you're doing. As they're using that technology, it's then telling you what the customer's doing. Mm -hmm. So when a sales rep does call, he's not saying, hey, Mr. Customer, you've never spoken to me. I'm cold calling you. Do you want to go and buy a backup? And the customer's like, why the hell are you calling me? He's saying, hey, Steve or Gene, I see you, you downloaded that technology three weeks ago. I see you've been using it for two weeks. Did you know if you set it up like this, you're going to do this? You actually have an integrated conversation right. with the customer. And then you're, not, you're selling to them, but the customer doesn't need those incentives. They're more likely to use the technology. Now, if they don't buy it, it's actually still good because you've learned mm -hmm. through that process of someone engaging with technology so as you think about going back to the question of what's the hardest thing, the hardest thing was also getting people across the company to understand it's more than just a product shift. It's a whole end-to-end -end shift of the company around how we operate business mm -hmm. and how we engage in customer journeys. So a paradigm shift. <laughs> it's a complete mind shift. And the only way to do it is it has to be everyone in the company gets behind it. Right. That's, a good, that's an interesting point about, it. so that sounds like the challenge that you had was of course integrating everything, but that could also then be construed as a, as a win, right? So I mean, you, you went from the challenge, so now it's, it's a win that you have integrated all of this parts of your company. Oh yeah, company. I mean, before June last year, the number of trials the company did was six in the whole year. And if you wanted a trial, you literally had to sign, sign your blood away to get a trial. 
now, we're averaging north of 100 a month. That's great engagement. That's yeah. great direct user feedback right. without having to do old style user feedback. What are you doing? What's good? What's bad? Support interactions. That's free like market knowledge of your technology. Yeah, market research. Right yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> so, so, so tell us a little bit more about other wins. So, I mean, we talked a lot about your, the challenge, which then turned into a win of integrating everything and all these companies that you've acquired. So other wins or other new initiatives that you guys are working well, on? Well, I, I, it, it's still very much around, we're focused on simplification. Mm -hmm. We're focused on making anyone who deals in a compliance-led marketplace, their life much easier because it's really hard. And then, I mean, our personal wins are, and, and the way I look at this is, we've done a lot in the 11 months I've been there. Changed the whole go-to-market, changed the whole product strategy, changed the whole customer journey. But probably the most important thing was, like a lot of companies, uh, we had a partner advisory council. I happened to go to the first partner advisory council like two days after I started. The meeting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was, how should we say, enlightening. How it, so? It, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't particularly... Uh, Productive. Productive. It wasn't predict particularly kind of like uh, good message, those kind of things. It was all like, guys, you have four, five products. Doesn't look good. You said you were going to do these things. You never did these things. In that, our last partner advisory council, every single partner on that that council has grown their business by at least forty percent with us. MPS mm -hmm. has gone up by close to forty-five points. And you now have a partner advisory council that are saying, how can I help you go and grow your business? Right. So I, I think that's the, that's the biggest barometer to, to change. Seeing customers that go from detractors to advocates, it makes all the hard work that you've, when you, when you, when a, when a new CEO comes in a company and essentially has blown everything up end to end, and say, so if we're going to change everything, the best bit at the end of it is when customers are going, we can see the difference. It's making a fundamental difference in my business. This is working for me, right? This is what you want to hear, right? <laughs> this, is, this is what you want to hear. Now, I mean, our business is growing. It's accelerating the number of new business deals we've, we've done from beginning of Q1 last year to Q4 doubled. But we only have 3,000 partners today. In North America, there's about 40,000 managed service providers. So definitely a lot of opportunity for more market share. Definitely a lot of opportunity for more market share. Like any company, most companies are good at selling one thing to one customer. They're not great selling the second and third thing. So we have to get better at doing things like that. So. Oh, upsells. Upsells, cross-sells. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and funnily enough, that will get easier when it all looks the same. And it's self-serve and things like that. Absolutely. Those, I mean, once you already have a customer, it's so much easier to upsell or cross-sell versus like trying to acquire a new customer. Yeah. So, so the way I look at it is 2019 was really like building a foundation for the business. Mm -hmm. Figuring out what's our North Star, why do we exist, why is someone going to do business with Axia? There are a multitude of other providers out there that provide similar kind of technologies to us. And we have to do more than just provide good backup business continuity and recovery. Yeah. 
because it, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a message there, right? And you have to stand out and differentiate yourself from the market. Absolutely, and and not being funny, our biggest competitor probably spends more on marketing than we turn over in, re in revenue a year. Right. So you can't compete head to head on feature functionality, feature functionality. So you've really got to say, where am I strong? What's important to my customers? And particularly because we're selling to technology people, it's technology that uniquely sells to their business. And, and ultimately, how do we become intrinsic to the success of their, their business? Absolutely. So switching gears a little bit here. So um, I wanted to talk about this topic of social media. How are you currently using social media for your business, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or any of them? <laughs> yeah, so we, we use uh, LinkedIn pretty uh, well. Where I think we're close to 6,000 followers on Fantastic. LinkedIn now. Um, all the leadership team does the same kind of thing. Um, a lot of our social media is actually done within um, technology forums mm -hmm. because the, the, the companies that we sell to operate in like peer groups. Right. So they'll ask another MSP of like, hey, I had this problem with that. So we do a lot of our social engagement through peer groups um, and there are quite a few of those called, there's one called HTG, which is part of ConnectWise now that has like 15,000 MSPs in it, so we operate a lot of social activity and those kind of things. Some, right. of, some of the Reddit MSP technology groups, and it's and it's really been there. It's less about pitching or what we're doing. It's it's more adding value. Really. It's adding value. We're in a trusted advisor right. and saying, "Hey, you had this problem. Well, hey, look, here's how I would go and solve it." It's not about we have a product to solve this. Right. Using the switch them on. So well, it's I mean, selling has changed a lot, right? I mean you're now adding value versus just trying to push your product. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> how many times, I'm, I'm sure you get as many cold calls as I get every day for yeah. all sorts of companies I have no intention of buying from and never, ever spend a second doing any research on them. Right. And so it's exactly the same from a social media perspective. It's like we're very specific around being that trusted advisor and, and trying to help our MSPs become better businesses, mm -hmm. and particularly as cybersecurity is like a big thing, and just the challenges of dealing with it. Our business, we're the last line of defense. So you've got all these security companies building up walls to stop the bad guys getting in. Right. It's just like if someone's going to steal your car, it doesn't matter what you do. Somebody somewhere is going to be the person that's going to steal your car. Yeah. And as a business, you have to take the the view of it's not if. It's when. it's when, but we're the people that when it's the when, we can get you up and running afterwards. Yeah, and so a lot of our social engagement is is in those forums and platforms around advising people to say best practices. Here's how you solve for these type of things. Right. Hey, backup and recovery should be connected to security. Absolutely, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I mean, yeah, we do that the same thing for digital and social where it's like, what's the best practice for setting up your Facebook pixel or something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Don't like, use the same password. <laughs> or... Yep. So yeah, totally, totally. Do you use Quora at all? They're a pretty popular one also. I don't know if they're specific to your industry, Quora. Uh, no. I don't believe so. No. Okay. Something maybe to check out. I mean, it's, a, it's one of those things that like, if somebody has a question about anything, like a very specific question, like um, it might be also. I will check it out yeah. as soon as we finish this. <laughs> sure, so sounds interesting. Yeah, Q U O R A Quora. Okay. Yeah. Um. Great. Well, a couple more questions. The the one next one is uh, talking about tools. So, what is one tool that you use that's critical in your business? And that could be a tool like 
use personally, or maybe your team, or maybe everybody in the company uses. <laughs> I mean, I mean, outside of the usual like CRM and things like that, I think that any company that's ever used Salesforce is it's a great tool, but it's really hard to manage the um, a the velocity of sales growth mm -hmm. and truly hold sales teams accountable. And that's why hundreds of other companies have popped up and doing plugins with Salesforce things like that. And so probably the, the one of the best tools we use from the go-to-market side is actually from a company called Inside Square. I don't think I've heard of them. Um, anyone who's using Salesforce and has a sales team and is struggling with deal velocity, deal management, what's actually going on, let me understand the risk of this deal closing or losing a deal or customer health scores, those kind of things, Insight Squared will be a godsend. So it's like an analytics platform for it's an analytics platform Salesforce, basically? For, for Salesforce. Because okay. Salesforce is really poor at reporting. Oh, it's, okay. It's, it's, it's very kind of like one-dimensional. Uh -huh. But imagine if you're a sales team, and, and we use it more than the sales team, so the whole exec team. Is right, because you want to see the health of the sales pipeline, right? Yeah, but... but Salesforce can't tell you, it tells you, I have a deal, I have an opportunity, but that's it. It doesn't say how healthy that opportunity is. It doesn't say, well, how many times has this customer been engaged with content for marketing? So have they downloaded the white paper? Have they done this? Have they filled out a form? How many calls has a sales rep done? How many demos have we done? So it can't collate all of that stuff together, but inside Squid can pull all those things from like different tool sets and predominantly Salesforce, so you can you can plug in like HubSpot and things of those kind of things as well. Mm -hmm. And then very quickly, at any given time, anyone in the company can press a button and say, I know exactly what opportunities are likely to close in this time frame. Right. But on the flip side, it can also be used of well, hey, any company that already has a, a volume of customers today, you can use it as a kind of a quasi-health score. Right, absolutely. The other way around and say, hold on a minute, is this customer doing a certain set of activities that may give me a hint that they're looking to go somewhere else? Mm -hmm. So Inside Squared gives you that clarity of being able to pull all that together and very quickly, either a sales leader say, I need to hold my sales team accountable to this daily execution, mm -hmm. or the team that's dealing with like customer success they can go in and go, hmm, this customer here seems to have ramped up the number of discussions in support. There's a usage that's slowly going down. Maybe I should engage the customer. So it's, and it's super, super easy to use. Okay. Even I could use it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, you are a tech person, so it should be pretty, pretty easy to use, right? Yeah, but I don't have to create this stuff. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so. yeah. Uh, great. That's, that's an interesting tool. I've not heard of that one. So Salesforce um, integration for, uh, for analytics for Salesforce. Okay. And the last question is, I always ask this one, is what is your prediction for the industry? And that could be anything. That could be flying cars, flying to Mars. It could be specifically <laughs> to your industry, the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years. <laughs> I think several things come to mind is uh, there's no such thing in the in the next couple of years, there's no such thing as not being connected to technology. Okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, very much so. Way beyond IT, refrigerators, televisions, garage door openers, 
everything is connected now. Mm -hmm. Everything is around data. And what do you do with that? And all of that comes together in one big problem. What's the problem? Bad guys and security. Okay. Right. And so it's only going to get worse. And people, and so it doesn't matter the size of your business. If, if, if people still only think it's big businesses that are going to get attacked and hacked, they are completely incorrect. And then I think what's, when we're already starting to see this, security hacks and technology for the last 20 years has been derived by technology. The hack itself. The hack itself. So, okay. okay, it might be some guy in the other side of the world in his basement, but he's been creating a piece of software, software or malicious right. code to go and do his, his bad stuff. Right. Now, the security guys have got pretty good at stopping most of that. Okay. The big prediction I have is how do you stop human bad actors? So, okay. so, so impersonation. Oh, yes, that's true. That does happen. Often now, I've heard of that for like uh, audio and voice now. Voice. Yeah. Video. AI is great, but hold on a minute. Somebody could piece together our interview here and re-manipulate all of our words into something else. Telephone systems, a voice recognition. I mean, who knows the impacts that things like that can have in banking, personal, personal information, those type of things. Financial, for sure. Financial. <laughs> yeah. And there was a hack last week where the bad guys, we've all heard about ransomware and things like that. They actually didn't ransomware the business. They ransomware the end users themselves. So what did that, what happened? So, so, so what happened there is it was a health practice, and I think it was in Alabama or somewhere that got hacked. In that scenario, for the last four or five years, it would have been the health practice that had to pay the ransom. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Now the bad guys have realized, well, actually, they have all the personal information. So now they're making a lot more money because they can go after each person. So they're going after the end user and saying, if you don't pay me this money, I hack the company that you work with. Dr. Sergio or whatever it was, and I'm going to release your information unless you pay me. So security is moving way beyond just being a piece of malicious code. Mm -hmm. The bad guys themselves are saying, hold on a minute, nobody has solved for human interaction piece. So how, where do you think the remedy is, or how do you solve for the human interaction piece there? Is it just going to involve a lot more advanced technology? Yeah, I think it's a lot more advanced technology. I think uh, technology companies need to do a better job of connecting themselves. No, there's no one magic pill we're going to stop this. The bad guys are going to continue trying to do stuff electronically. It's super cheap. It can be a dude in his basement on the other side of the world and send out. That's why phishing emails are still highly profitable because the guy can send out 20 million emails and it's costing two minutes of programming work. But I think to go and solve it, technology companies have to connect better together to understand it's shifting and how do we deal with human element, human interaction, 
connecting data to security and those type of things. It's, it's going to get, just as our private libraries are getting harder and harder to manage information and things like that, it's going to get harder and harder to make sure we're actually secure. Right. That's an interesting point to, to end the uh, conversation with. Is yeah, and not wishing to scare people, but <laughs> everything runs on technology That's now. True. Your car runs on technology. Your car's connected. Power stations are connected. Yeah, your, your home is connected now, right? Smart homes, right? All of that. I yeah, mean, now I guess it goes back to the beginning. At least I can now become a butcher if you like to uh, yes, <laughs> we're back to where we started. Full circle, yeah. back to being a butcher. Um, great. David Bennett, Axion, and where can people find you? A website, or would you want to share a little bit of information on the company and how people can get in touch yep. with you? The best thing is, is uh, go to axion.com, um, and you can see us there, um, or look us up on uh, LinkedIn. Awesome. Great. Thanks so much. Thank great, you. Great having you here.